today on Ag News Daily. You can go to TractorZoom, start to fill out your equipment list, adding in the machines you have on your farm, and we update you on a monthly basis of what those values are doing, where are they headed, ultimately allowing you to make a better decision of when it's coming up for sale, where do I need to be from a valuation perspective. Listeners, welcome back to the Ag News Daily Podcast. It is December 13th, Tuesday edition, Tech Tuesday, Ag News Daily recording. Tanner Winterhoff and Delaney Howell this morning on an episode that's brought to you by Mystic Lubricants for a full look at their line of excellent products. Visit mysticlubes.com to take a look. That is M-Y-S-T-I-K lubes.com. Delaney? You got me all fired up. We had a great interview this morning to start the day off with. And uh, now we're going to add a little bit of energy into our news. We are, Tanner. I'm so excited. Please take us to the news. <laughs> Just want me to run with everything. Listeners, we know a lot of you are freezing your tails off right now. Looks like blizzard warnings are still in effect for a large chunk of the United States. We're looking from Western Wyoming and Montana all the way through Colorado and Nebraska, pushing into portions of South Dakota. That area could receive up to 20 inches of snow expected with this storm, according to the National Weather Service. About a tenth of an inch of ice for those along the southern border and winds gusting delaying to over 55 miles per hour. This massive storm system, according to the National Weather Service, will impact central and southern United States over the next few days. Widespread heavy snow and blizzard conditions will impact the north central high plains and upper midwest those storm warnings are now continuing to push over into north dakota south dakota and minnesota and northern portions of iowa not much like you said yesterday delaney for us here in iowa and uh, the highest risk here once it moves further to the east is going to be ice buildup potentially two-tenths of an inch which causes issues for potential power outages because wind will continue to gust up to 45 miles per hour. So it looks like the northern portion of the United States is in for maybe a tough week, Delaney. Yeah, and I was looking at Eric Snodgrass's morning newsletter this morning, and he shows different probabilities of how much snow these folks can expect to get. So there's a 100% chance that a lot of the northern plains are going to get at least three inches of snow, Tanner. The probabilities do start to shrink as we look at six inches, 12 inches and 18 inches of snow. But areas of northern Minnesota and northern Wisconsin do have a 100 percent possibility or probability of getting 18 inches plus of snow. It's a very small area, but nonetheless, some folks could see that much snow already where we really haven't seen any here where we're at in central Iowa, thankfully. Well, thankfully, yes, unless you have two little daughters that really want a white <laughs> Christmas and That's snow fair. to sled on. I, I agree. I agree. Yes, I also have plenty of friends and family that are snowmobilers. That's and true. And really looking forward to those Wisconsin trails getting plenty of snow. That's true. It, I agree. I'm I'm good with you. I'm on the same page as your daughters. I like a little snow at Christmas time and then I can move right on. I get that. That absolutely is what makes Christmas Christmas. So I wanted to piggyback on the story I had yesterday regarding the Missouri legislature not wanting foreign entity, foreign owned entities to purchase Missouri land. We did come to 
light that the largest oil refinery in the United States is owned by the Saudi Arabian government. So this was again posed as other legislatures in states are continuing to debate how much land, if it's by percentage, by uh, acre, is going to be purchased and owned or allowed to be owned by entities not United States-based. So as we look at the largest oil refinery in the Port of Arthur, Texas, it's been owned by the Saudi government since May of 2017. But even then, the Saudi Arabian government had held partial ownership of this refinery back to 1989. According to the U.S. Energy Information Administration, the oil refinery at the Port of Arthur, Texas is the largest United States. It's defined by barrels of crude oil processed per day. The refinery is directly operated by a company called Motiva, which is Saudi Arabian owned. The refinery in the Port of Arthur is owned through the entity Saudi Aramco, commonly shortened to just Aramco. The uh, motive, obviously, for this was to continue to provide Saudi oil using U.S. reserves to the United States government, Delaney. So I thought that was quite interesting that even though it's not new news, it's resurfaced back to light as we talk about dependence upon oil and fuel prices. I mean, you look at this year, 2022 reached the highest ever for fuel prices in mid-June at an average of over $5. Now, as of December 12th yesterday, that average has dropped to $3.26, but is still well above the 264 average that we had in January of 2020 before COVID hit. So another reason that I think a lot of these legislatures are going to continue to push to make sure that United States ground stays owned by the United States. However, the uh, Energy Association has stated that there are 127 oil refineries located in the United States. Of those 127, 103 are American-owned. Other companies are based out of the United Kingdom, Venezuela, Canada, Mexico, France, Israel, and Australia to also add to that list of Saudi Arabian-owned oil refineries. So I didn't realize that much of our oil production from United States soil was owned offshore. Well, Tanner, switching tracks here, we've gotten export numbers for pork and beef for the month of October, and sales were quite robust, with sales of both meats up significantly. Port exports were the largest in 16 months, and beef exports continued at record pace, according to data released by the USDA and compiled by the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Pork exports in the month of October were up 5% compared to a year ago and the largest we've seen since June of 2021. We also saw pork export value itself increased 13% given inflation and the cost of having to pay a little more to get the same quality of product. U.S. Meat Export Federation President and CEO Dan Hellstrom also noted that the October pork results were bolstered by outstanding growth in a variety of meat exports, which set a new value record at $126.2 million. So that was on the pork side of the balance sheet. On the beef side, of course, we saw increased exports there as well, up 8% from a year ago, and total value at $929.8 million, which is down just slightly from the largest total reported in October of 2021, 3% lower than that record 
But nonetheless, U.S. beef exports continue to push the envelope and see great strength there supporting our domestic markets, Tanner. We saw specifically the leading destination was actually China and Hong Kong for the month of October, with values toppling $240 million. So as we look at the global beef production forecast for 2023, Analysts are expecting it to decrease just slightly, but they said they do still expect to see fairly strong demand heading into 2023. And Brazil is actually expected to remain the largest beef exporter with their production increasing slightly in 2023. But the U.S. is still anticipating to export, maybe not record levels, Tanner, but Certainly some strong exports again in 2023, which should help support our beef prices here seen in the United States. Yeah, that is nice news for our livestock producers to see if we can keep prices elevated at these profitable levels for them. So back into the fuel side of things. CHS is one of the nation's leading cooperatives owned by farmers and ranchers that do quite a bit in the fuel industry. And now their senior vice president of enterprise and customer development has come out in an interview saying that the renewal renewable diesel fuel plans that have now been discussed and proposed by the EPA are great, but things don't add up. He's he's compared the projected use of renewable diesel, which is obviously a positive thing for the environment to the stocks that are available to make this with. He said it's going to potentially push farmers into planting more soybean acres in the future, at least within the next decade, in order to meet these goals set out by the EPA. If we're going to use more renewable diesel fuel, then we have to grow disproportionately more soybeans in the United States because we need about 9 million more acres to fuel the new soybean crush plants that are coming online and the goals that the EPA have put ahead of us. If all states that are proposing in LCFS, which is the low carbon fuel standard like California did, or Washington is leaning towards, and there's no way the U.S. farmer could grow enough soybeans to fuel the demand created by the renewable diesel standard. So interesting there, Delaney, as we take a look at how acres may be divided up in the future, U.S. farmers in 22 planted 89.9 million acres of corn and 88.3 million acres of soybeans. So there's not a lot of room there, Delaney, for a $9 million acre shift to meet the required net need for production. He said, even though these crushing plants are not online at this point, it's going to become a gradual crop demand increase. And he sees the scenario of corn acres would go all the way down before a buildup in ethanol expansion. So we'll see here as we look at spring reports for intended acres to be planted to see if we get a shift and maybe more soybean acres are planted than corn. But certainly for right now, if we're going to push towards the EPA suggested blending for renewable diesel, it's going to need more soybean acres as feedstocks. Well, Tanner, one place that some of those acres could be shifting from is actually cotton acres. As we look at 2023, some analysts are suggesting that perhaps we see cotton acres shift away into more profitable commodities such as corn and soybeans. And if we do see a sharp reduction in U.S. cotton acreage, that could push Brazil into the number one slot for global cotton exports. 
Brazil is forecasting that 2023 might be the year that due to increased planting area and lower acreage numbers in the U.S., this South American country will be the world's largest exporter. They said that they expect Brazil's cotton exports to increase shipments by about 22% next year. And currently, Brazil ranks fourth among global cotton producers behind China, India, and the U.S., but is actually the number two exporter, and they're going after spot number one next year, Tanner. Yeah, I think we knew that that was uh, going to be one of their targets. Let's pause here for a message for our sponsor today. Since 1922, Mystic Lubricants has been providing superior performance and protection for farmers who demand the most out of their equipment. Today, Mystic continues to develop products in real-world conditions that are specially formulated to meet the unique demands of your specialized machines. They provide advanced protection for engine longevity and are the choice of people who make a living working the land. Learn more about Mystic products at mysticlubes.com. That's M-Y-S-T-I-K lubes.com. Well, Delaney, as we look at the economic barometer for what the Fed might do in relation to raising rates this year, one metal might be a good metric to watch as to what 2023's economic standards are going to look like, and that is copper, the red metal. This metal has endured, obviously, a tough 2022. I think we hit twice on our Market Monday conversations and related to metals due to tighter U.S. monetary policy. A lot of this metal is traded. And, of course, the Russian war with Ukraine and China's combination of their lockdowns related to COVID-19. However, Goldman Sachs and Bank of America have both suggested in an article yesterday that they are looking at short-term supply tightness for copper, and that creates long-term energy strength for this metal. They're looking at a transition here that will put the red metal north and climbing in the markets. But what that means for us economically, Delaney, is that copper traditionally is seen as a leading indicator for economic health, has a surprisingly positive trend historically, And analysts have expected this resurgence to come about in 2023, even though we have some concerns about the global economic outlook. But historically, it's been a very tight tie to when copper prices are up, the economy is strong, Delaney. So if we take one segment, obviously, and we look across history, it seems as though a pretty good indication that this could do well. Now, the downward pressure in 22 obviously falled followed the downward economic slump that we started to move into. But with the Federal Reserve's decision coming later this week on rate hikes, it'll be interesting to see if the 2023 prediction comes to fruition from Goldman Sachs and Bank of America. Obviously, they have substantial resources there for their predictions and their ability to monitor what the future economic standard is going to look like. So it'll be According to them, equally important to monitor the supply needs and the surplus as it relates to the red metal. Something I had never thought to watch, Delaney. Yeah, me neither. I'm not sure if a lot of analysts watch that. It'd be an interesting question to ask on a Market Monday episode, though. Yeah, just one day too late. We're going to have to save it for next week. That's true. Oh, yeah. Today is only Tuesday. So it's Tech Tuesday, of course. We'll be getting to a... (laughs) Good conversation you had with Tractor Zoom last week at Farmer to Farmer here in just a minute. 
But just wrapping up a couple quick hits here of news, Tanner, I reported yesterday on the missile strikes that happened at a couple of Ukrainian ports, which had them temporarily shut down over the weekend. We saw soybeans react pretty heavily to that news yesterday. And we're still seeing, like I said, some of those operations have not been fully reopened yet. The bigger question, though, is what's going to happen here long term? Because although Odessa is operating again, there's still concern that the port may not achieve full operations very quickly and that they may not be able to get exports out of the country as quickly as they had hoped. So all in all, Tanner, still a lot of concern and um, focus being placed on these Ukrainian ports to see if they do get back up and running and how quickly. But that certainly weighed on markets yesterday. Doesn't seem to be weighing on it today. Seems like markets have largely shaken off that news. But I tell you what, I am all out of news. How about you? I am all out of news as well. It just looks like the carbon market continues to evolve with a potential opportunity for those with pasture and grazing lands, but nothing officially to report on there. Just some efforts to focus on. But no, I would uh, be curious to see what the commodity markets are doing this morning. Well, Tanner, let's do that here after one more quick break from today's sponsor. Since 1922, Mystic Lubricants has been providing superior performance and protection for farmers who demand the most out of their equipment. Today, Mystic continues to develop products in real-world conditions that are specially formulated to meet the unique demands of your specialized machines. They provide advanced protection for engine longevity and are the choice of people who make a living working the land. Learn more about Mystic products at mysticlubes.com. That's M-Y-S-T-I-K, lubes.com. Well, Tanner, markets in the overnight here, right as we hit opening session, are trading higher across the grain board. March old crop corn is up three and a quarter cent in the overnight at 6.57. New crop corn will open this morning at 5.98, up a penny and a quarter in the overnight. January soybeans had some big moves in the overnight up 13 and a quarter cent to open this morning at 14.73 and three quarters. New crop soybeans will open eight and a half cents higher at 13.91. Hopping over to take a look at the wheat pits this morning, the March Chicago contract will open at 7.65. March hard red winter wheat will open at 8.74. And livestock yesterday, of course, had Fairly strong, but mixed trade as you look down into the live cattle, excuse me, into the lean hog market. February live cattle will open this morning at a buck 56.10. January feeders at a dollar 83.65. And February lean hogs will open this morning at 83.70. Tanner, without further ado, let's kick it into your conversation with Kyle McMahon. All right, Ag News Daily listeners, we're here for a Tech Tuesday conversation live at the Farmer to Farmer gathering out here at the FBN Conference 2022. We have Kyle McMahon here with TractorZoom, and the official title I should have asked before I introduce you, are you president and CEO, or how do you go about this in the tech side of things with your title? Yeah, that's right. I'm, I'm, I'm founder and CEO of TractorZoom. Founder and CEO. There you go. I knew there was always a little way to step in there as technology is new and being able to propel that forward. So for the listeners, first, let's start off and tell them what TractorZoom is, and then we'll get into how you got to where you are. Oh, yeah, certainly. So TractorZoom helps farmers find equipment 
and then make confident buying decisions around the equipment. Uh, we, we help a variety of industry stakeholders from not only farmers, but also farm equipment dealerships, uh, banks, insurance agents. We help a variety of, of industry folks understand what's going on in the equipment market, market trends, where values are going, which has been a really hot topic with inflation and interest rates over the last couple of years. And uh, uh, we, we continue to push forward from a data-driven perspective to help people uh, make better and more confident decisions anytime they're buying, selling, financing, or insuring equipment. I like the sounds all of that with my banking profession background, but then the listeners too are going to really find value in, in the, as we dive deeper in this conversation. But as title founder, clearly this is a company, a product that you had worked hard to put together. So let's tell a little bit about your background. How did you get to where you are now? Yeah, sh- certainly. So right out of college at Iowa State University, I worked for a farmland private equity group in Northern Iowa. Uh, where I was fortunate to travel the entire Midwest, uh, buying and selling farms, working with real estate agents and bankers, uh, attorneys, and just getting to know everybody in the entire market. So built a lot of relationships in that. And I did not grow up on a farm, but I wanted to start farming on the side, uh, some supplemental income. Uh, folks had some farm ground down in Southeast Iowa that they're willing to rent to me. And uh, I quickly realized when I was buying, I was, I was looking for a Kinsey 3600 split row 1223 planner. Uh, I quickly realized how fragmented the market was. So, you know, from my private equity side, I realized, you know what, you need data to make a buying decision. And I found myself subscribing to 20 newspapers and bookmarking maybe 30 different websites of auction companies and dealerships to figure out where the heck I could, I could find a 3600 planner. Well, maybe a month in, I realized, man, this is an inefficient process. Uh, buying farmland, I got, I got data served up to me right away, right? And so that one thing led to another, and I was, uh, I was driving down the road in probably a 12-hour car ride, uh, actually headed out to go snowmobiling Wyoming, and I, I called everybody I possibly new in the industry uh, in that 12 hours and just figured out, am I the only one with a problem? I had a hard time finding the inventory, finding the planners I wanted, uh, especially at auction. And then once I did, I had no idea what, what I should be paying. What was fair market value? There's planners all over the place, but list price is what people are asking is not always what they sell for, right? So I wanted great data to make great investment decisions. And that one thing led to another and we ended up starting TractorZoom. So now as we dive into what TractorZoom is and the data that you are sharing as part of our Tech Tuesday episode, how are you gathering the data behind the technology you've put out? Yeah, sure. So we've, we have partnered with uh, a little over 600 auction companies and 1,300 dealer stores to market their inventory uh, on TractorZoom.com. Farmers simply come to TractorZoom, search for the inventory when all of those items sell at auction and dealer listings, we're, we're collecting uh, all, all those sold prices and transaction information around, along with all the specs and the machine information so we can build a cohesive database that we ultimately will help people price and understand where the market trends are headed. So that's providing, like you were saying, you're filling a void that was in the marketplace because now our listeners can go and look up the value for a piece of equipment that either they already own and are looking to sell, or they're looking to buy and don't want to overpay for, 
or maybe even the other side of it is if it's priced really low, it may be a red flag as to something's wrong with that piece of equipment. But there's more than just farmers getting value out of this product, correct? That's that's right. So we 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 think it's a it's a it's a multi-tiered approach. So. Um, uh, you know, we think of ourselves as a data company and we're helping a variety of stakeholders in agriculture understand pricing. But if you think from all, uh, from the very beginning, those 600 auction companies and 1300 dealer stores, we're helping them with lead generation, helping farmers find their inventory more easily online. So it's helping drive sales and, and opening up their sales geography. Um, we're also then leveraging that information and helping them understand more profitable decisions when buying, selling, trading, uh, lowering the risk of banks understanding asset values. You know, most banks still have a, a flatline depreciation schedule that if you bought a, if you had a million dollars of equipment two years ago, it might be on the, on, on the balance sheet for 800,000. But machine prices are up 40%. So look at all that equity that your your operation has built over the last, last couple of years that you could be leveraging from a financial perspective as well. So that's neat that it is a multi-tiered approach. So what are some of the things that your company is proud to have achieved in 2022 that you feel are cutting edge or providing extra benefits? Yeah. Historically, we'd always been in the auction market. Uh, the very end of 2021, we had just launched uh, to allow dealers on the platform to market their inventory, and we've successfully scaled from zero stores to 1,300 stores that market the machinery. Um, so we'll market about $15 billion of equipment this year, which which is a big milestone for us because then we can use that information and it helps build our network of farmers finding the information, and ultimately that data is coming back to them making better decisions. We've we've launched what we call a uh, farm equipment list for farmers that they can go on Tractor Zoom for completely free and start to value their machines. So you can go to Tractor Zoom, start to fill out your equipment list, adding in the machines you have on your farm, and we update you on a monthly basis of what those values are doing, where are they headed, ultimately allowing you to make a better decision of when it's coming up for sale, where do I need to be from a valuation perspective. When you're selling it or valuing from an estate or sharing that entire machinery list with your banker, uh, that it makes the banker's life easier. Uh, and you're also providing uh, more accurate uh, information as well as your insurance agent. Absolutely. And I could see exactly where you're coming from on that. But now as we look into the future, you've got a growing team that is very talented. What are some things that you could share with our listeners that you're excited to work on going forward? We're making uh, strategic investments in data science and starting to uh, create that price gap even smaller. Uh, we're already at real-time valuation information, but we, we, we have a commitment to ourselves to make it even more granular and getting better and helping people make even better decisions. So investing heavily into data science, uh, we recently launched digital finance for, for farmers. Farmers can now apply in under two minutes, actually originate uh, equipment financing online from a variety of, of vendors online as well. Yeah, that would be, I could see where that would be quite an advantage to anybody that is a user on your platform. But you said you're investing in these technologies, but people are investing in you and your company. Can you talk a little bit about the journey is as a startup and how your funding's been achieved? 
Yeah, certainly. So we, we have some amazing uh, partners, investors that uh, deeply understand agriculture that have helped us uh, go out and hire some amazing individuals that push our company forward that ultimately bring that value back to the farm gate, back to the dealership stores, back to the bank where they're helping make more profitable decisions. So yeah, yeah, we've raised, we've raised capital from some really neat investors that uh, really believe in the vision of where we can take the company. Um, so we're, we're fortunate to have them on board. No, oh, that is really good. And for our listeners now that are really curious about Tractor Zoom, what's the best way for them to go find it? And uh, if you want any contact information of yours, feel free to share that as well. Yeah, certainly. Uh, the easiest way to find Tractor Zoom is just to go to tractorzoom.com or download our app in the, in the uh, mobile app store. And, you know, if you need to get a hold of me personally, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Uh, feel free to hit me up there. Awesome. Thank you again, Kyle. We appreciate you taking time for this Tech Tuesday conversation. Thanks, Tanner. Well, Delaney, Kyle's been uh, one of my favorite interviews for quite a while just to watch him grow throughout his business career. And it was good to catch up with him at Farmer to Farmer. I'm sure our listeners are all going to reach out there and download that Tractor Zoom app, which is one that I find valuable on my phone. Absolutely. It has been really fun to watch careers like his and others that we've had on the podcast at kind of their first days of inception as a business. And now we're really getting to see those folks grow and have businesses that have been in the marketplace for a little while now. So it's fun to watch those companies grow. It is. And that's the fun part of Tech Tuesday. So make sure you tune in every week, not just on Tuesday, but every day. We'll be back again tomorrow. But what do you say for today? Let's let the listeners go. Let's let them go.